ClickZ podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. Marketing and especially advertising is broken. And when you use data to help people make better decisions, advertising and marketing can become a really, really valuable and useful service. This is the ClickZ Digital Marketing Podcast. And I'm joined today by Liz Brandt. We'll be talking about the personal information economy and why it's so important for marketers. I'm delighted to be joined by Liz Brandt, the co-founder and CEO of Control Shift. Liz's career has spanned more than 20 years and multiple disciplines, including consultancy, digital media, customer service design, and strategic marketing. After 12 years from Barclays, Liz moved to the systems integrator company Logica, after which she founded several companies, including a mobile CRM company, Zishi, and Digital Public, a public sector consultancy developing a consumer-centric digital media service for government. She currently advises a number of global clients, including Facebook, O2, the BBC, and Suncorp. Since its launch, Control Shift has been at the forefront of understanding, explaining and shaping the personal information economy, or PIE. It has pioneered Me2B digital services and personal information management services, PIMS. So who better to talk to about the personal information economy and its relevance for modern marketers? Liz, welcome to the ClickZ Digital Marketing Podcast. Thank you, Jim, and thank you very much for inviting me today. It's great to have you with us, and I'm really looking forward to finding out more about all those different terms and what is the personal information economy. So could you tell us how you ended up getting into this space and, and what really excites you about it? Yes, yeah, so I have been working, as you say, you know, I started in, in banking, um, but while I was in banking, I very quickly got involved in technology and have ever since been involved in how technology has an impact between the organization and the individual and how they work together. So I'm old enough to have been involved in the rollout of ATMs, which is a very early piece of technology, and um, call centers and the first call center into banks. Um, And then I I got very heavily involved in CRM and the promise of CRM around customer relationship management. And it was that really that made me passionate about how information and personal information can transform the way we work together with organisations. And I think the disappointment of CRM was what made me really start to strive for what is control shift today. Yes, the dis- this disappointment of CRM really is that it basically became a piece of technology that enabled a load to be pushed back on to individuals and efficiency into the organisation had nothing to do with relationships at all. So, you know, we all suffer it now with, with call centres. And that, that really started me thinking that there has to be a better way, a better way than just forcing people through a process, a better way to include individuals and create efficiencies in their lives and efficiencies in organisations' lives by by bringing those two together using technology. I think that's something which a lot of the marketers listen to this, listening to this will actually relate to because we were talking a little bit in the um, the pre-podcast chat as well about the sort of frustration that um, we felt with the fact that technology just hasn't yet delivered that promise. There was always that promise that we'd be able to have a much more personalised relationship between marketer and consumer, that technology w- would allow us to find out more about them. But that hasn't happened yet. But do you think we're on the verge of, of something changing? 
Well, it's interesting. We started Control Shift eight years ago, so we were, we were definitely thinking that was the time when it was going to move. Um, eight years later, it is definitely, definitely moving. But actually, um, there were a number of things, number of parts of the jigsaw puzzle that needed to fall into place, which are now starting to fall into place. We look at it from four different shifts in the market, and those are now starting to really move. We call it bolt business how business models and revenue streams are shifting and changing, consumer opinion and how that is starting to shift and shape the way that people use personal information and all the things associated with it, services and marketing. Legal legislation, regulation, which of course is now um, very much on the move with the likes of general data protection regulation in Europe, e-privacy in Europe, uh, and other things in finance sector like the payment services directive they all sound very very sexy as far as the acronyms are concerned but they they're they're amazing uh, pieces of legislation that will start to move our market and then technology the t in bolt um and the the technology's really been as often is the case running ahead in some ways with personal data stores blockchain um all sorts of security capabilities coming out um that 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 help support the market and enable businesses to uh, uh, scale and pace, deliver real value in marketing and digital services using information and personal information in the hands of the individual. So you mentioned that Control Shift was set up eight years ago and you've seen these changes in the, the industry. What actually does Control Shift do? Are you researching? Are you consulting? Are you providing services? We are a strategic consulting business um, that specialises in helping organisations to grow and innovate in the digital economy by developing and future-proofing digital products and services which empower customers through greater control of their data. So we help businesses to design at the front end of that we help businesses design both their marketing their customer service customer services using using data and the services themselves so the new digital services that are being rolled out that um, add value in people's lives. So does that mean you're working with both startups and big corporates because I imagine that they're both coming out for, for trying to find a solution but from different angles? Yes, we have worked with both. We work especially in areas like comparison services where there are uh, there's a lot of in personal information that's being used um, to help them move to what we would call an, a next generation intermediary. So comparison services um, certainly in Europe are the services that enable people to to compare prices on um, services like energy or insurance. Um, and those are starting to move now towards different types of value proposition where the service um, will enable people to, for instance, uh, look at not just the value, i.e. the price, but also maybe the cost of service. So are they a good, do they provide a good solid service that doesn't keep falling to pieces? Do, are they good at answering the phone and helping solving problems? And things like, are they um, providing uh, ethical services or um, are they creating uh, green energy, for instance? So some people will start choosing based on different criteria. So we're helping um, organisations like Comparison Services move to that next generation intermediary stage. 
Um, but we're also working with large corporates, um, and you mentioned some of them earlier on, like like Suncorp, who who have developed um, and launched recently something called a trust bond, which I think is really interesting, um, where trust bond uses personal reputation to help them help an individual to secure a rental property. So um, Suncorp is based in Australia, and in Australia you have to pay quite a hefty. Um, cash balance before you move into a rental property and what what Suncorp are doing is with trust bond uh, they're using personal information to generate a trust profile which can be shared with the landlord and then a much smaller cash balance put down um, Suncorp then against your personal reputation ensure you against any problems with the property. Interesting so they're able to actually access data about the individual user and use that in a very innovative way. Are they using some sort of machine learning algorithms as well to be able to extrapolate um, about, for example, um, some of the data which might not be obvious to the human eye, but might be an indicator of their ability to, to pay that rent in future? Yes, of course. And, you know, they're insurance companies, so they have a lot of risk information that they have themselves. But I think one of the things we're also seeing, and this is where Suncorp are going, is designing trusted services. It's It sounds sounds in some instances simple and some instances fickle but actually it's a very um it's a critical part of designing these digital services into the future and we help businesses do that and what we find is that 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 as you say uh, visible to the naked eye information it is a dangerous place to go to actually design them so they've got more trust and transparency um, and, and a sense of control about what the data is and how it's being used is critical because otherwise people feel uncomfortable about what's going on behind the scenes. Um, we've been working with Facebook on a design jam which helps uh, to design new digital services that embed trust, transparency and control into the service themselves. It gives the individual consumer the opportunity to see what's going on behind the service know what data is being used and in some instances change what data is being used so that they feel like they are more in control and they can trust the service and we're actually finding that the services that are designed are very simple and very straightforward so that that consumers start to feel much more in control the design jam is is just that it's a jam that brings together multidisciplinary teams. So teams of legislators, regulators, service design, user experience, technology, product lead, business lead, to actually look to overcome problems and build out growth and, and value for both the organization and the individual. Great. And it's interesting that Facebook is in that space and, and looking to engage with uh, other partners to find a solution there because there's I think uh, and we'll get onto this a, a bit later there is that sort of that real sort of fine line between organizations like Facebook or advertisers who have all this information which is great for targeting so if you're an advertiser it feels great because you can target effectively but then from a consumer's perspective feels very creepy because suddenly things are popping up without you really knowing how they manage to target you or know so much about you but it sounds like you know part of the thinking behind this initiative is to reassure sure and engage with those consumers and other organizations 
students to um, to make sure that they understand how it works and build that trust. Yes, completely. And, you know, I mean, Facebook is, along with some of the other social media and the gaffer and the bats, they have, uh, they're at the leading edge of this market. Um, and they're all very aware that they have to... Um, foster the market in a way which enables it to grow because as you say if things start to get too spooky or creepy and they cross over that line the fear is people will stop engaging and stop trusting at that point they'll stop sharing and once they stop sharing their data then actually the bubble bursts and the market is not there and and the value cannot be delivered and that's that's also what's behind the legislation that's out there um, which is to try to create um, trust in the market by bringing more transparency into the market itself. So, so you mentioned a couple of organisations there which people might not be familiar with, and I'm conscious we're using a lot of acronyms today, but could you just tell us what is GAFA and BATS? Yes, so GAFA is a group of companies which is Google, Apple, Facebook and Amazon, and obviously very American-oriented, whereas BATS are more Asian market uh, with Baidu, Alibaba and Tencent being the big social media companies in in Asia, which in themselves are very interesting because unlike the likes of Facebook, they actually have a lot more commercial uh, transaction activity inside them and are starting to use personal information in, in the ways we're talking about where it, the information is used to help people make decisions. So it, there's sort of mini apps that pop up to help you make decisions about things. Um, so in some ways, they're quite well advanced. Interesting. And why do you think here in the UK and in Europe, we haven't had so many companies which are leading in this space? I think it's very interesting you asked that question because actually the UK has been very innovative and leading in the market around in the market around data, um, but actually hasn't got the, the big gaffer or, or bat type organisations. It, it's more about the momentum I think that the that Silicon Valley, for instance, has created, and in that the talent pool that's there and the financial pool that's there. So I think. Yeah, some of the some of the work that's going on now, though, in the UK, certainly and in Europe around creating that talent pool and um, creating the financial um, capabilities in the marketplace to support it, it. They really are starting to motor forward. And and some of that is around legislation. Some of it's around investment. Some of it's around um, focusing down on particular areas of growth for the economy. Yeah. And it'd be interesting, I think, to see how that will develop post-Brexit. I know a number of government ministers have already come out and said they want to pioneer what's being done within the digital economy and specifically with personal information. So, uh, you know, I think it's probably watch this space there. Just to circle back on on the personal information economy, because I'm conscious now we've given a few examples. We've been talking about quite a few of the concepts there. How would you define the personal information economy? What does it actually mean? Well, for us, the personal information economy describes all of the services and commercial relationships that are generated by empowering individuals with the individual to collect and use their own data for their own purposes. So they they can leverage that tr trusted data relationship with customers. Organisations have to um, have the power to re revolutionise the way business is done. So some of the services that are that I'm talking about are services that we, we categorize them as PIMs, personal information management services. And I recognize that's another 
acronym in there. Um, but if you think about those as at a foundation level, the ability for individuals to better manage and control their data and personal data management services. Um, and then on top of that, the more exciting areas are um, better decision support. So help me make my make some simple decisions like sometimes not so simple, buy a car or, or just buy food or help me with my diet, whatever that might be. And then help me with more complex decisions like what we call life management. So, you know, get married, organize a family holiday, some of the bigger, bigger things which have multiple decisions inside them and, and how personal information can be used inside those services with those services to help people make better decisions and manage their lives more effectively. And, and it's really exciting uh, what's going on in the financial services market. There's a piece of legislation called Payment Services Directive 2, mm -hmm. which is actually pushing uh, payment data out of banks' hands into the marketplace, into the hands of what they call trusted uh, parties. Um, and that's data out of our bank accounts. So my my data out of my bank account about my transactions can now be made, made available the marketplace so what's exciting about that data is that it can be used to do all sorts of things in in our lives and the mind rushes immediately towards things like personal financial management tools helping me to understand how much i really do spend on coffee a month for instance um and but but once you start to actually unpick some of that data that data as data assets also enables you to um do more effective things with with things like travel so how, where have I spent my money? What did I spend my money on? And manage things like fraud. So I can start to see that if my phone is saying I'm in England and somebody's using my card in Paris, let's say, and maybe it's only £1.20, but actually that we know that's actually fraud. So you can actually start to have exception reports back to the individual to help them better manage um, their finances and their digital life. Thanks for explaining the personal information economy. And it's definitely something which, as you mentioned before, has been growing in importance. And you referenced the the Bolt, um, those four factors which have really now pushed it into the, the consciousness, not just of consumers, but also businesses um, as well. And I think there's there's a lot which I'd like to come back to in a minute and, and find out about where you see the biggest innovations and what you see the future of this being, particularly um, that's going to be relevant to marketers. But we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a minute. Hi there, it's Tim here and I've got a favour to ask. If you're enjoying listening to the Clixie podcast today, could you please leave us a quick review? Just navigate to the review tab in iTunes or Stitcher and either share some stars or leave a comment. Not only would I be really, really grateful, but this also helps other people to discover the podcast. Thanks so much in advance. Now back to the podcast. So in the first half, we talked quite a lot about what the personal information economy was and how it's been growing. And now I'd like to look at the future and what innovations are coming and how they're going to be relevant to some of our listeners and the businesses who are trying to figure out how to use this data and what they can and can't do. Um, so I suppose, first of all, do you think that we're now seeing consumers become aware of the value of their data and, and is this the finally the beginning of a customer centric era consumers are increasingly aware of the data but i'm not sure they care and 
We've seen companies come and go who think that people will want to manage their data on a day-on-day basis. But what we all know is that there is no time for doing that. In most instances, no inclination whatsoever. Um, And in fact, there's a company um, in the UK called Credit, which is a credit referencing agency that launched a a service called Noddle some time ago. And it's it's an original instantation it was my credit referencing my credit rating free of charge for life and you'd think people would be really interested in that what their credit referencing one rating is because it, it has such an influence over what goes on in their life but actually there was very little take up and it's not until you actually put that into into action that it becomes really useful so for instance if you're looking for a new credit card then actually having that credit rating in your hand can actually enable you to find the credit card that best suits you so it's the use of the data not the data itself a bit like money really you know it's, it's not the money itself some people really like to get it out of the bank and have a look at it but really most people just like to use it to make their lives work do you see a generational split then between maybe so the old generations who aren't that interested in data and it's something which is a little bit alien to them and the younger generation sort of 18 to 24 year olds who have grown up in a sort of post facebook world and you know are just used to um, the concept of having data data is just like a, a native concept to them do you know we've done research in the past with clients on this and very early on so about seven years ago we did research on the my data program which was a a government sponsored program of work looking at how to get data into consumers hands Um, and there was no difference between the younger generation and the older generation about how valuable the use of the data would be if you ask people about um how exposed they might feel then you might you might find a difference because younger generation actually are more aware interestingly than the older generation if you ask people how valuable will it be when they can use the data in in many of the um pieces of research that we've done for clients we actually find that the older generation are more interested because they've got more complex lives they've got more at risk the table stakes are much higher um, and they can they can see how it can enable their lives i suppose from the perspective of ad blockers as a as an advertiser over the last couple of years very conscious of the rise of the ad blocker it was it's not so much talked about this year but um it reached a sort of peak around 25 to 30 percent um of all users in the uk were were using an ad blocker now for me that sort of reflected an underlying alienation a breakdown in the trust between the consumers and the advertisers specifically around the way in which their data is being accessed and and sold and and they don't really understand what's what's going on there but do you think that there do you think that the problem lies with advertising or is it is it a wider problem than that ad blockers are a symptom and a signal from the individuals of the Uh, the problem with advertising I often say that if the only thing we can think of to do with this beautiful rich data set of of individuals data is to hurl hundreds of irrelevant adverts at at people then we're not quite as innovative as a race as we thought we were they um, marketing ostensibly and especially advertising is is broken and in fact in our event on the 6th of november part the personal information economy pie event we have a whole track on unbreaking marketing um because especially when you start getting into a post gdpr world 
we're starting to see um, marketing in its common form break down. Um, in GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, you have to have consent from the from the individual um, to to use the data for marketing. And in some of our clients, we've done research on how much, how many of the people, their customers, will consent. And for some businesses, seventy five percent of their customers say they will not consent. Um, to the use of their data for advertising and marketing. And of course, GDPR has another element to that, which is the portability of the data. So I can also ask for my data back. So I can say, no, I don't want you to market to me. And will you give me your data back, my data back? And they can also ask to be completely forgotten from the systems. So not only can you not market to them, but you also have to completely forget them. So you actually have a huge acquisition cost potentially moving forward post GDPR. And, and that is all a symptom of really, for me, the fact that marketing has become just a pestilence rather than a seriously useful um, service. And we talk about marketing as a service and how that, how when you use data to help people make better decisions, advertising and marketing can become a really, really valuable and useful service for individuals. Interesting you mention GDPR and the companies that you're dealing with obviously get it because, you know, they're working with you. But what's your sort of experience or your sort of perspective on the wider industry out there? Do you think companies really understand the true risk of not understanding GDPR? I think people are just starting to wake up to it. Three months ago, there were a lot of people who couldn't spell GDPR. Uh, and um, now we are we walk into businesses and they know and quite often they are looking very scared uh, because there's quite a lot to be done inside organizations there's one business we worked with who when they did their data audit found that they have personal data in over 1500 systems Um, and you know that that's a lot of systems in which to control the use of data um, and, and enable an access to it. So there's a lot of work that people see ahead of them. But actually, when you start digging down into those 1500 systems, some of them have a very small amount of data and that data is actually not very high risk. So it's a matter of, of doing, uh, of sorting out the, um, the things that you need to sort out in a priority order. And, and, you know, I think people are looking at GDPR as a burden, but actually when they start looking at how their business is using data, um, they're starting to realise that actually they're not using it as effectively as possible. And I think it, the peop- certainly the people we're working with are finding that actually once you have more sight of the data and more control inside the business over the data, you can actually start to look for the value opportunities that you can offer consumers. If you have the consent and you're able to then provide um, the data and make it into something which is meaningful and useful for the customer, then you it's definitely going to add value to them. But if, if you don't, then um, in a post-GDPR world, that not only are you not allowed to have it, but there's almost no point in having that data. You're completely right. And, and it's the useful piece that's really important, plus that tr- that trust piece, which is it's useful, it's vi- providing value to me. So it's, it's useful and it's providing value to me. Uh, that means that um, 
I, I enjoy using it and I want to use it. If it's trusted and transparent, so I feel comfortable about what I'm doing with it, I'm, I, there's lots of research that shows that I'm likely to share more data, which if you're then using data to create value, you can create more value with, which means you go into an upward draft. You're basically creating value, creating trust, creating more data, creating more value and so on. There's a balance here, isn't there, um, between the advertisers who are really eager to get their hands on this data and the tech which is in place at the moment is is pretty blunt the cookie based ad targeting at the moment but the advertisers know that there are a huge number of additional sources of data coming online smart watches smart homes um, the internet of things which if the advertisers could access would allow them to personalize their ads more but i think on on at the same time that more data is becoming available those consumers as we've been talking about are, are becoming more reluctant to just share that data they're becoming more conscious that the data has value and is vulnerable do you think there's going to be a world people often refer to as minority report you know mm. the the famous tom cruise film where there literally was a one-to-one personalized ad that pops up and follows him around i mean i've been speaking to some uh, digital outdoor su- suppliers who tell me that that's technically possible but what's not um what they don't have permission for is access to the personal data and it would just creep out the user um so what's your perspective on on how quickly we can really get personalized advertising in place i think the cultural question is the biggest question and the acceptance of that type of personalized advertising and i think that we're going to go through quite an interesting experimental time if advertising is a bit like the tom cruise movie and it just pops up and it's pestilence and it's absolutely everywhere i think there will be a big backlash and people will really push back on it and that's what most most economies most governments are scared of that people will just push back and not want to share their data um i think once we start getting into the place where the 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 advertising if you want to call it that the marketing is really useful then you know in the moment it can help me make better decisions but it has to be something that feels like it's about me not something that's about a product that they want to push at me so ads popping up all the time trying to get me to to drink a well-known cola brand um if if i have zero interest i'm not i'm not even thirsty um completely irrelevant and it's going to really alienate people further but if there was a way of pulling out data which understood what i'm actually searching for whether that be let's say a new holiday or a new fridge or a new car and were then able to present ads to me which are valuable and useful to go back to what we we're talking about before then that starts to feel more like a a service than um the pestilent advertising that you've mentioned yes yeah, completely and you know chief executives need to pay attention to this they can't just leave it to the marketing people you know, God help a brand that becomes a pestilence, because as soon as you go there, it's very difficult to come back. You know, how many brands have we seen fail because they've had some crisis of trust? You know, Kentucky Fried Chicken is still trying to convince everybody that actually the chicken is good quality. Now, whether that was actually a problem in the first place or not, it was a perceived problem. And if you are perceived as being a pestilence brand, then you will have a an awful long haul to get back from there. And going back to data, we've had a number of different speakers on the podcast from different sides of the advertising industry talking about how they're they're using data. Um, and it breaks down into two camps for me. One is the people who are the sort of data experts who are literally living and breathing data and you know transacting lots and lots of data who maybe 
um, understand the data, but don't necessarily see how it can be applied to the creative. And then you have the the creative people um, who are, you know coming up with the ad concepts, um, who make make fantastic ads, but they aren't necessarily rooted in data and insight. It's a very interesting point because I think we've got. Um, a play going on in the market at the moment where you've got user experience people who are looking to use the data to create these beautiful trusted user experiences you've got service design people who are looking to create value using data and then you've got the marketing and advertising people who are searching around for the opportunity to do that and at the moment I see inside organisations those three things sitting separately. And that's why we try to bring those together in our innovation programmes where we bring the business people, the advertising people, the marketing people, user experience and service design people together into multidisciplinary teams and, and the data people together in those multidisciplinary teams. And, and it's then that you actually create um, value, which is really hard for your competition to follow. Now, we've been talking about personal data from the perspective of how interesting it is for us. But of course, I think one of the biggest concerns which any consumer is going to have about their personal data is the vulnerability of that data. The other aspect of um, the way in which data is is held is um, what the consumers are able to then do with it themselves. Are you seeing more innovative companies who are empowering the individual user to to use their own data now. I know at last um, year's event, you had quite a few different startups. What's the most innovative thing you're seeing in that space? There's a, a lot of entrepreneurs in the market. What we're actually also seeing is some of the digital challenger type organisations um, come to market. So bigger organizations than small entrepreneurs, things like Monzo Bank, which is a UK digital bank, um, which is actually a platform bank, where the bank is designed to enable your data to flow, uh, a bit like iTunes, where you can plug apps on top of it. So they've just recently launched something called OneDocs, um, where OneDocs is integrated into the Monzo banking platform, OneDocs uses the data out of the, Mo the Monzo platform to enable a personal assistant ostensibly to help people to use that data to manage their lives more effectively on a day-on-day day -day basis. So we've got some mid-ranking, well, very, very well-funded business like Monzo who are really pushing into the market. And then <clears throat> you've got the likes of the banks themselves um, and the more incumbent businesses, if you want to call it that, the bigger brands who are starting to take things to market. And in fact, this week, HSBC have um, launched the an integration of personal bank accounts. So across, I think, 24 banks, you can actually um, integrate your banking information into, into one personal financial management tool. So we're really starting to see some of the big brands come out with innovations as well. That's really interesting because it used to be that the bigger corporations, banks in particular, were quite slow to the party. But over the last couple of years, they really do seem to have caught up. And I remember looking at something comparing the startup banks, the Monzos and the Atoms, and, and uh, seeing how they compared to the big, um, the big established banks. And the interesting um, thing for me was that the bigger banks have deeper pockets, of course, for R&D and for UX. And so the customer satisfaction coming back from the, um, the apps for the bigger banks was actually a lot higher than the uh, small challenger 
um, banks. And I wonder whether almost ahead of the PSD2 um, regulation that you mentioned uh, coming in, where all that data will have to be made available, the banks are actually now ahead of the game slightly. And they're saying, well, we don't want this this space to be disrupted without us having a, uh, a fundamental role to play within that. It's a clever play. PSD2 because what it's doing is, as you say, forcing banks to actually make their data available because uh, they have to release it. It's a piece of legislation. They have to make it available, which means they've got to be able to A, find it uh, and B, make it digitally available um, from what is um, a huge web of technology that sits behind the banks. In some instances, some of the big banks we talk to They've got 600 odd systems in which the data resides. They've got to plug and play all that lot together. And and many of them have got um, API factories, ostensibly, you know, technology factories that enable those those, um, systems to join together. Once they've done that, then they can really start to innovate with the data. And that's why PSD2 is really um, clever, I think, as a piece of legislation, because although it's quite arduous right now for many of the banks, it does mean that they will then be able to start innovating with the data in a, um, as you say, in a very powerful way because they've got deeper pockets, they've got a, a larger customer base at the consumer end, but also I think rather excitingly they've got a, they've got businesses as customers as well. So they are actually an ecosystem in their own right. They have consumers and businesses, and they can and they can enable the interaction between those two and the commerce between those two on a bank as a platform. So just to wrap things up, what's the one development or innovation that's coming up in 2018 that you're most excited about? Well, sad that I may be, but I think the legislation that's coming up is quite exciting. And I know that's quite sad and many people find it very painful. But as I've said before, what that does is it creates new platform businesses. And that might be a platform, a bank as a platform, or it might be a retailer as a platform into our digital economy. And I think that's going to be the foundation for many, many massively valuable services that will be delivered to the consumer. It empowers the consumer, but through a brand which they already have that trust with. If you were to give one piece of practical advice, particularly to marketers or agencies who are listening to this, how would you tell them they should be thinking about preparing for the growth of the personal information economy? I think it's fairly simple, actually, when you step back from it. The answer is just don't focus on the data, focus on the value, focus on the customer value opportunities, the opportunities to help people with their health, their finances, their home, their travel, their education, their career, focus on that value um, and then work out what value you're going to bring and how you bring that using data. Brilliant advice there. So just to finish then, how can we find out more about Control Shift and the Pi event coming up? So yes, our Pi event, Pi 17, this is our fifth um, annual event. It's on the 6th of November in in, uh, London. You can find it on our website, um, www.controlshift.com 
co.uk. Um, and of course, you know, from the website, you can get in touch with us as well. Well, Liz, that's been amazing. You've given us such a good overview of the personal information economy. And we've talked through a lot of, of the changes which have been happening in the minds of the consumer and also in those big corporations. And it's been really exciting to hear about all those innovations and those those different ways which both startups and large organisations are now planning the next couple of years and how the personal information economy is going to take off. So I look forward to, to tracking all of that and I hope to come along to the Pi event myself and uh, find out more about the personal information economy. But Liz, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Find more episodes at clickz.com forward slash podcasts or follow me on Twitter at Tim for Change. We'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks. Until then, keep up to date with ClickZ and don't forget to review us on iTunes and Stitcher. ClickZ, the original digital business intelligence company founded in 1997, providing best practice advice, trends and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 300,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals. Thank you for listening and bye for now.